So, last several weeks, and I know I'm not alone, have been a little crazy for a lot of different people all over the place. And what's even crazier is that they're all in the room today. That's the, that's the craziest thing. Um, this message was, uh, I had heard somebody say something, and it was, uh, it was essentially um, going to be called, There Are Elohim Among Us. But I was just like, I don't know, that doesn't sound right. Because it's just like, it makes it sound like they're sitting in the room. But I wanted to ask, who is your Elohim? Is it Yahweh? Is it Yahshua? Do you even know? We here agree that Yahweh is our Elohim. However, often for those in the world, and even a few of our own brothers and sisters who may be struggling, Yahweh may not necessarily be their Elohim. They may say that Yahweh is their Elohim. They may acknowledge him as the Father. But using Scripture, I'll prove that it's not the case always with some people. Let me start with what might be the most obvious verse concerning this. Over in Exodus 20, verses 3 through 5. Everybody knows this one, but I'm going to read it anyway. Thou shalt not, ha- thou shalt not have no other mighty ones before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water beneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, Yahweh, thy Elohim, am a jealous El, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Now, if there were no Elohim to be um, bowed down to, he wouldn't be so explicit in telling them not to do it. He wouldn't be so explicit in the commandment. I mean, it's one of the Ten Commandments. It's a big deal. And another thing that really hinges on this is the definition of Elohim. What is an Elohim? It's not necessarily a uh, old man in the clouds throwing lightning bolts or something like that. It's not always that. Um, it was in some people's cases. There are Elohim um, among us, I'll say, and I, and I mean that. There are. Not in a traditional sense, but Elohim nonetheless. So what is an Elohim? Well, the commandment's pretty clear. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or is in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I am Yahweh thy Elohim. So there's a few prerequisites for something to be classified as an Elohim. And those things are, it must be a graven image or some sort of likeness of something that is on earth or in heaven above or the water below. And it must be worshipped and served as an Elohim. In essence, replacing Yahweh the Father. So, is that porcelain cat you have sitting on your fireplace at home an Elohim? I guess it could be. If you were bowing down and worshipping it. Or burning incense to it, or some other weird thing that people do. That's all it takes for something to become an Elohim. Whether it's a physical object, or something else. It doesn't have to be, you know, an actual being of power, of might, of majesty, or anything like that. It can be anything. It's the practice of putting something else before Yahweh. 
The only reason men have embellished, quote, Elohim that we read about in history is because they know they could not convince somebody to worship a rock or a golden calf unless they had some crazy story to go along with it. I mean, think about it. You think about the Exodus story when they made the golden calf. They didn't just decide right then, okay, this is Yahweh. This is who we worship. It was everything that had happened prior up to that point was superimposed onto this golden calf. Speaking of that, over in Exodus 32, it talks about this Elohim that was crafted by Aaron and his people. And when the people saw that Moses came, that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain, people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, and said unto him, Up, make us mighty ones, which shall go before us. For as this is for as this Moses, the man that brought us out of the land of Egypt, we wot not is become of him. And Aaron said unto him, Break off the golden earrings. By the way, he just gave in so quick. I mean, they, they, I mean, they, they rose just a little, just this one little stink. They made a stink, and he was like, all right, all right, just give me what you got, and I'll, I'll make you an idol. It's crazy. And Aaron said unto them, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off all the earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a golden calf. And they said, these be thy mighty ones, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. So, as you can see, the people here lacked faith in Elohim. They could not see with their eyes. They took the awesome and wonderful deeds of Yahweh, and they, and they said, no, 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 no. This is what did it. This golden calf that we just made. This is who helped us. Maybe if Yahweh had never done these wonderful things for Israel, maybe he would never have felt that they would have never felt the need to make the calf in the first place. However, it would also mean that Yahweh would have to leave his people in Egypt. Kind of a catch-22. If Yahweh delivers his people from bondage, they will inevitably turn from him and give glory to another, or an object in this case. And if he does nothing, his people stay in bondage and never know who he is and how much he pines after them. Yahweh is very explicit in how he feels about his people going after other mighty ones. I mean, we just read in Exodus 20. But over in Psalm 135, verses 15 through 18. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, made by human hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Now that statement says more about the people crafting the idols than the idols themselves. Um, What is it that... I don't have the scripture right off the top of my head where Paul talks about the meat sacrificed idols. It's nothing. It's nothing. These are they're objects. They're nothing. But the people who make them are like them. They have eyes, but they do not see. Ears, but they do not hear. And that's a powerful statement. Over next, back in Exodus 20, it says, Thou shalt not bow thyself down to them or serve them, for I am Yahweh thy Elohim, a jealous El. And then over in Deuteronomy 12, 1 through 4, these are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which Yahweh the Elohim of your fathers is giving you to possess. All the days that you live in the earth, you shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their Elohim, on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every green tree, and shall destroy their altars, breaking their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. 
You shall cut down the carved images of their Elohim and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship your Elohim, Yahweh your Elohim, with such things. Idolatry is very tenacious. It has been one of the biggest thorns in Yahweh's side from the very, very beginning. And just, just think about this for a second. Over in Revelation, the very end, I mean, this is like after everything has kind of come to a head, right? It's, it's bad news for everybody. Revelation 9, 20 through 21. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons, idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see, nor hear, nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. I mean, idolatry is definitely here, but there's a whole lot of other stuff going on as well. And so the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues, I mean, they still still are clinging to this at the very end. I mean, there's n- this is as far as we can see ahead of us is in Revelation. This is it. And there are still, after everybody else, I mean, people are dying all around, and Yahweh is showing his power to these people, and they are still clinging to it. It's like a bad rash. It just won't go away. And it says that, uh, it says that they worship demons and idols of gold and brass. I mean, these people are nuts. Idolatry has been a bane for Yahweh as long as man has been on this earth. And what do I mean by that? Well, it might come as a shock to some of you, but we do not have a lot of folks bowing down and worshiping wood and stone too much anymore, at least not in this country. With our vast, towering intellect here, we've progressed beyond that. (laughs) Sarcasm, sarcasm. Um, We've progressed, as they like to say. Even all the way back in the garden, man put something before Yahweh. While not idolatry in the common sense that we know in the Bible, i.e. bowing down to wood or stone or gold, it was more of a spiritual idolatry that man was guilty of and is still guilty of. In Genesis 3, starting in verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which Yahweh Elohim had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath Elohim said, Ye shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, Elohim hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for Elohim doth know that the day that you eat thereof your eyes will be opened, and ye shall be as the mighty ones, knowing good and evil. All the way back then, woman, and by extension man, wanted to be like Elohim. Yet another instance where a created thing be, uh, became like an Elohim. Only this time it was the created thing itself that was falling short. There's a big difference there. Uh, wood is always wood. The wood doesn't desire to be anything. Gold doesn't desire to be anything. But man has desired to be like Yahweh since right at the very beginning, all the way up to the end. Even with its unique circumstances, this is idolatry. Mankind placed itself in Yahweh's position. Well, they tried to. They didn't actually do anything besides mess up. Again, idolatry is not just bowing down to wood and stone. It can be purely spiritual. 
Have you ever been in a situation where you had the opportunity to do something righteous and good and chose not to do that thing out of fear, laziness, or anger, or hatred from the other side? If so, you put the idol of self before Yahweh. And I know we've all done it before. It's something that we're all guilty of. It sounds a little harsh. Yeah, we've all, you know, we've all, you know, put an Elohim before Yahweh. It's all happened to every single one of us a couple times, probably. But the reality is we've all committed self-idolatry one time or another. It's a far bigger challenge than not bowing down to wood or stone. It's easy to, you know, we acknowledge Yahweh as our Elohim and we say, well, I'm not going to bow down to that idol. You know, we look at like the, the instance of like Nebuchadnezzar and the image of gold and things like that. Oh, well, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't bow down either. You know, it's easy to say that. But what in your life, what in your life is that idol of gold? Are you a woman trapped in a man's body? Are you a man trapped in a woman's body? Are you a dog trapped in a cat's body? Anything goes anymore. The idol of self is more prevalent now than it's ever been, I believe, in history. I think it's getting to the point to where it's not been seen before. Things like homosexuality have been around forever. We know that. We know that. It's it's well documented. People act like it's some new movement, but it's not. But this humanistic self-worship is, I mean, it is powerful. It is powerful and it is dangerous. And people we know, people we know that have been speaking out against it. I mean, it was, I mean, just regular people speaking out against it. They lose their jobs. They do all this other stuff. If they dare stand up against this idol of self. Today's society is filled to the brim with ways you should love yourself and ignore everything else. And if anyone says any different, it's not enough to just disagree with them. They must be punished. The idea of self-worship is no different than bowing down to these wood or stone or gold idols that Israel was in contact with. Scripture says over in Romans, chapter 1, verse 25, who changed the truth of Elohim to a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Mankind has not just turned its back on Yahweh. They have actively replaced him with the creation he made themselves. It's like a child deciding ownership of something that doesn't belong to them. I mean, that's what it's really what it's like. It's like dealing with children. These people are they're stuck. Uh, Elder Randy spoke about it just last week about America's reprobate spirit, and I mean, it's reprobate. It's not that they don't understand; it's that they can't understand. I think Yahweh's just pulled the plug on the whole thing. To be honest with you, we are to walk humbly and meekly. And make ourselves less while lifting others up. That is the polar opposite of what we see in the world. It's not about helping others or being gracious to others or or being humble. Willfully ignoring Yahweh and pursuing our own selfish ambitions and lusts is the opposite of what everything Yahweh stands for. Now, don't get me wrong. A lot of people hear something like that and they say, you know, oh, you, you don't like wealth or success. Well, not necessarily. Wealth and success are blessings. But those blessings come to both the righteous and the wicked. It's not a really good measure by which to measure righteousness is how much money you have in your bank account. I know some real characters who have a big bank account. 
And I know some really, really righteous folks who are just skimping by. So we can't, we can't look to, we can't look to the, the wealth and the objects of this world to measure blessings by. You can't do it. So what, what then? What do we, what, how do we make sure that we're giving proper respect to our Elohim? To Yahweh the Father. We have to live righteously, obviously. Being an example to those around us. Taking care of the temple which Yahweh's blessed each of us with. Our high places might not be physical mountains, but bad habits that are destroying our temple, that are bringing down the families around us, the family and friends that we have. Our groves may not be trees and poles, but pride and wicked actions. But just like the high places and the groves, which were smashed and burned in the Old Testament, we have to destroy these things that are affecting our lives and our relationships with the one we worship. There's a very, very well-known example of this and its consequences, which are still affecting Yahweh and every single one of us today. Over in Isaiah chapter 12, we kind of get the granddaddy of self-worship. Isaiah chapter 12, verses 14 through 15. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of Elohim, and I will sit on the mountain of the congregation. On the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, yet you shall be brought down the Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Are we in this self-worship trying to replace Yahweh as the top spot in our lives? To say that I will be like the Most High doesn't mean that we are actually replacing Yahweh in the universe. That's not a possibility. Rather, we are replacing him in our hearts, and that is a possibility. When we deny him in our lives, and we replace him in our lives, this is where it gets scary. He will allow it. If we want to live wickedly, not obey, follow his commandments or anything like that, if we just he will let you fall away. He may call you. He may call you as you're walking, but he will let you. He will never forcibly bring you back kicking and screaming. He will call out to you. He will send his shepherds out to find you, but he will never force you to do anything. It breaks his heart. But he wants us to want him. It has to be a, it's, love has to be a two-way street. Simply giving him lip service is not enough. He sees right through it. And that's what Messiah, he prophesied against the Pharisees. And he quoted Isaiah, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And that's a, that's a, that's a humbling thought to know that if you continue, and, I'm not, and this, I don't want this to be doom and gloom, but, I mean, it's got to come kind of eventually, I guess. You've got to kind of wake up to the fact that if you continue in the ways that may not be savory with the Father, there's a reason he says to repent and come back to him. He always asks his people to repent. He would will that none would perish, that all would repent. But we have to act. That's the key. We have to do it. He's not going to do it for you. It doesn't matter what the people on the evangelical TV tell you. He's not going to come and scoop you up. He's going to call you out. But you have to walk. You have to do the movement. Now, there are ways that you can align, realign yourself with the Father. And if you feel like you're struggling with these things, 
which I know a lot of people are, working for the ministry, I tell you, it's been a blessing. I've learned a lot more about a lot more people than I ever care to learn about a lot of people. And it's amazing when they call up, they want so desperately to just have somebody to talk to. I mean, the moment that you say, yeah, I got a few minutes, I mean, it's just the dump truck just, it's, it's all over. They spill the beans almost immediately because they've been holding it in for so long and they don't have anybody to talk to. There are a few things that we can do in our everyday lives that, that aren't like big things. They're big, but they're not burdensome. None of it's burdensome. Number one, study the word. Study the word. Yahweh speaks to us through his written word. And just like Yahweh himself, the weight of his word is carried beyond time. What was applicable 2,000 years ago, what was applicable in day one is applicable today. Which is crazy. But I mean, in my opinion, the fact that I can sit up here today in 2021 and give you an example of in, the, in Genesis, in the garden, that is applicable today is proof that Yahweh is beyond time and what he's written in his word is his word. Over in 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of Elohim and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of Elohim may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's a, that's a really, really big one. A lot of people, any more you hear it, uh, you know, all of that, that, the New Testament, we're in the New Testament. That's fine. You know, the New Testament's very important too. It's two sides of the same coin. But what people don't understand is that all scripture is given by inspiration of Elohim. And I'll tell you what, when Timothy wrote this, this wasn't documented as scripture just yet. So the Torah, the commandments, the, the prophets, the kings, it's all there for, your, for our benefit to glean from, to learn lessons from. Yahweh's people have been messing up for a long time. And it's all written down. That's the great part. It's all written down as an example for us. So we don't have to wonder if it's wrong. What am I doing? Is it wrong? Is it right? I don't know. Well, yes, you do. It's written. Go read it. Another tip that you can take is watch the company you keep. We've all heard it said, you're only as good as the company you keep. Well, it's true. If we are truly seeking Yahweh and striving to be in line with his will, we have to put ourselves around people who are going to help us keep on the right track. And there has been proof of that coming through these doors at YRM many times. We had people who came in who were suffering from addiction, withdrawal, and they, they moved here, and they, they, oh, I'm going to get a fresh start. And you know what? For a while, they were good. They were good for a while. And the next thing you know, they start hanging out with people. I had a gentleman, I won't mention his name, obviously, but he knew where everything was where he used to live. And it was so easy for him to get access to these things, to these people who, who would just drag him down to the depths. And he left. He packed up and left. And like one day, he threw everything in a suitcase and he came up here. And the next thing you know, he was, he was here. He, he just, out of, the, out of nowhere, never really talked to the guy too much. And he moved up here to get away. And you know what? He straightened up. And it was a beautiful thing. But it didn't take long for him to rediscover those same people who would take him down. And, you know, try as we might, it was a decision he had to make. And he made it. 
And he went to those people, and the next thing you know, he was right back to where he was. So who you hang around is one of the most important things in this walk. Because iron sharpens iron. Scripture tells us that we have, we have to rely fully on one another. Because if you don't, people in the, people in the world are welcoming with open arms. And it's a, it's a sad thing to see. Proverbs 13, chapter, uh, Proverbs 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You know, Proverbs is a, is a pretty good book. There's some real zingers in there. And this is one of them. This is one of them. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And that has been played out in my own life many times. Sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm walking with the wise, and sometimes I'm right there with the fools. It happens. But, I mean, again, it's all written down because if you turn out to be the fool, there's a reminder right here. Yahweh says, I told you, you just need to read it. Another uh, verse that you can use in this regard of watching the company you keep is 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be deceived. Deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. That is a... It's, it's much easier to be righteous when those around you are righteous, are striving for righteousness, or who have the goal of the kingdom in mind. Because if, you don't have, if you're hanging around people whose goal is not the kingdom, what are you doing with them? The entire point of everything we're doing is to be in the kingdom. And so why would you waste your time with people who are not interested in the same thing you are? Everything that could possibly be important in this life is fleeting. Except the kingdom. That's the Yahshua and the kingdom. That's what we have in this life. Another tip. Charity. And I don't mean the stuff you see online these days where somebody records himself giving $1,000 to a homeless man. And you just see the little hearts and thumbs up flying up on the screen. It's, I mean, true selfless charity. And this is one that's a struggle. This is a struggle. Give without thought of repayment or recognition. Give in secret and you'll be rewarded openly. This goes against every fiber in man's body to do something without any recognition, with any bombast, with any praise. It's so important, though. And there are examples of this that, that you can find in the scriptures and you can, um, and the Messiah himself. Matthew 6, verses 3 through 4. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you openly. And when the Messiah says it, you know, I mean, obviously, if anything written in here is said, it's, it's important. But when the Messiah says it, it's, it's a big deal. I mean, he himself, when he was healing people, a lot of times he, he, he'd see the crowd and he'd try to move away from it. The crowd always followed him. There's nothing he could do about that. I mean, who would blame him? But at the same time, what he was trying to do, he was trying to do for the righteousness and for the fulfillment of who he was and for the edification of the body. Over in Acts 20, verse 35, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Master Yahshua, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is, this is an, another, just a little example here of how important it is. You know, working hard in this way, then we must help the weak and remember the words of the Master Yahshua. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And again, 
anymore, it's, I mean, get on YouTube and just, and just look at this stuff that people post. It initially seems like a good thing. You know, they're helping somebody. Oh, this is great. But I mean, why are they doing it in front of a camera? And they say, oh, I'm doing it to inspire somebody. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit inspires somebody to do something. And I suppose that you can do it in, in a way that's, that's humble, but that's not what you see. That's not what you see. Over in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to Elohim. I always think of like the two, the, the, the widow who gave the two mites. She gave of her of everything that she had for the blessing of Elohim. And I like to think that she was blessed. We don't really know what happened to her, but we know that she was, you know, Yahshua praised her for what she did. Charity is, charity is something that is a, uh, it can be, it's a tool just like everything else, but it can be wielded the wrong way. And I think that's, a, that's the problem with a lot of charity we see is that people are doing charity for charity's sake and not to really help. They don't really care about the person on the other end of the charity. They do it for their own edification. Another tip, prayer. I know this is no duh, right? But prayer, the, what's the best way to get to know somebody? You talk to them. We're called in Scripture to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of Elohim and Messiah Yeshua concerning you. So if you, if you get to know somebody by talking to them, who are you going to get to know by praying? The Father, right? That's, that's how we communicate. That's the only thing we've got right now is prayer through the Messiah to the Father. Yahweh wants a relationship with his people, and he wants to help his people. But we can't sit back and expect him to do all the work. After all, again, this love is a two-way street. In Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to Elohim. I know a lot of people, and even in this walk, who suffer with anxiety. They suffer with, it's a, and it's a real thing. It's a very real thing. And, you know, when I was... A while ago, I don't know exactly how old I was, but I used to think, I was like, man, I don't get it. And I'm like the least anxious person you'll ever meet. But I know that there are people out there who do suffer from it, people who have suffered trauma, people, the list is endless. But it's a really real thing, and I've seen people who are actively suffering from it. And I want to encourage those people to pray. Alone, if possible, when you're driving, when you're walking, do something. Communicate with the Father some way. Just sometimes just speaking things out loud is a good way to relieve some of that pressure. Just like the folks who call in. I'm not qualified. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not anything like that. I'm just an ear on the other end of the phone. And sometimes just vocalizing something, it helps a lot. So I would encourage people who suffer from that to to pray. Go by yourself. Pray to work. Go somewhere where you can pray and nobody can hear you. Cry out if you have to. Philippians, oh, excuse me, James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working, or the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. You know, when it says, confess your sins one to another, I don't think he means air out your dirty laundry in the assembly. I've seen people that take it that way. And I think that 
Find somebody in the body who you can confide in, who you can speak in confidence to, who you know will help you, who will listen, who will not change the way they think about you if you tell them something. Because just like with anxiety, sin is another, is another it adds pressure in our walk. It adds unnecessary pressure, and to relieve that is a, is a blessing. And it's almost like an accountability partner, you know. You can tell them you're working on something, tell them you're struggling with something, and when you do that, and they don't see growth, they'll know that you're not holding up your end of the bargain, that you're not, you know, trying as hard as you should be. Another thing that we can do is fasting. Now, fasting, a lot of people just think of the Day of Atonement, which is true, and that's very, very important. But fasting is something that you can do anytime. And it's an incredible way to focus on the Father. I mean, think about it. And everybody, and I know everybody here has done Day of Atonement at least once. And when you're getting ready to, Day of Atonement's creeping up, sun's starting to set. What is the one thing, two things, that you focus on for several, several hours prior to the sun ever setting? What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? Right? When the day is upon us, what is the two things you think about all day? What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? I mean, all the way back when I was a kid, I remember just thinking about, man, I know what I'm going to put on my, I'm going to toppings on my pizza. I know exactly what I'm going to do. Come, come sundown, I'm going I'm to dive right into it. And why is this important? Why is this important? Fasting gives that hunger and the thirst a meaning. You're not just hungry. You're hungry for a reason. You're not just thirsty. You're thirsty for a reason. Every time we fast, we do so with the intention of, of thinking on the Father. Why else would you fast? I hear people all the time, like if I happen to pass upon somebody while a day I'm fasting, they say, oh, do you want, oh, no, I'm fasting today. You go, how long without food and water? A whole day? How do you do that? Why would you do that? They can't believe it. But when you fast with an intention, when you fast with purpose, every time you think about food or water, you're reminded of why you're fasting. You're obviously, you're going to think about food or water when you're fasting. It's going to happen. But use that as a reminder on why you're fasting. Why am I hungry? We're so wrapped, and we've got it good. We have got it so good. If you're hungry, there are 10 million ways that you can satisfy that hunger. If you're thirsty, there's a flavor for every day of the week. No matter what it is. You want coffee? Great. Tea? Doesn't matter. Whatever you want is right at your fingertips. But when you don't have that, and you are purposely taking that out of your life, it's it's a perfect loop that constantly reminds you that Yahweh is in charge. And ultimately, we try to seek his will. So if you fast, then I encourage it. It's, not only is it good for your spiritual life, it's healthy to go without food or water for a little bit. It gives your body a chance to reset. But when, you, when you're fasting and you're thinking about how hungry you are, think about who provides the food. Think about who provided the person making the food with the ability to get up and walk. All of these things can be reminded when you're fasting. Over in Matthew 6, and now this is another one. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is 
kind of along the same lines as the charity work that we see people do. But the, I mean, <laughs> it says that they've received their reward. <laughs> I mean, that's not a very good reward. <laughs> They're just hungry. That's all they did. They just made themselves hungry. And that's kind of what he's saying. Man. But wash your face. Get up and wash your face. Comb your hair. Take a shower. Don't let people know that you're fasting. Let people act as though it's a regular day. And when that happens, it's crazy how many people pick, still pick up on it. They may ask you, like, hey, uh, you want to go to lunch? I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm good today. They're like, what, are you fasting? <laughs> yeah, actually, I am. But it's, uh, it's, it's interesting how it continues. To, it always piques people's interest. Another tip. Bless each other. Now, we're called to help build the body. We're called to help each other. And I think that's, that is emphasized and reemphasized and reemphasized in Scripture, especially throughout the Messiah's walk and his, and his mission here on earth. It says in Matthew 25, verse 40. I need new batteries. Oh, there it goes. The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And so just keep that in mind whenever you've got, you see somebody suffering or you suspect somebody may be suffering, just keep that in mind that if the Messiah was the one, obviously this is an obvious answer for everybody, if the Messiah was the one sitting and suffering, there'd be a line of people around the world waiting to help him. But he's telling us here, whatever you did to the least of these brothers and sisters, you've done to me. So he ups the ante a little bit and says, if you don't help whoever is suffering, if whoever needs it, if there's somebody in the body who's suffering and you ignore it or you don't give them what they need, it's as though you're denying me. And that's a, that's a heavy one. And that's something that we should take very seriously. Over in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, And let us not go, grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And we know that when we help each other, we're actually blessing the person. And the Messiah should be quite the motivator. Think about that next time you have the opportunity and the means to help somebody. You've been blessed in a way that you have the means to help somebody. Of especially a brother or sister. Now, I think it's always good to you know, do your best to help a stranger. You could be entertaining an angel. That could be. Um, but the body of Messiah... Is, is it should be we should be cultivating each other, helping each other, watering and growing. Galatians um, 6, verse 7 through 8. Do not be deceived. Elohim is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows his own flesh, from the flesh shall reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So, just I, I just want to say, be careful of your heart and your mindset when you're, when you're being charitable to somebody. When you're blessing somebody, make sure, double check that you're doing it for the right reasons and that you are nowhere in the equation. Because it's not about you. It's about the person you're blessing and it's about edifying in the name of Yahweh. Glorifying him in everything we do. Because it's really easy. Like I said, charity, blessing each other, it 
doing so anonymously with no um, praise for ourselves, it's, it goes against everything that is in our body to do that. And so just double check and check yourself. <laughs> check yourself before you donate and before you give because it's not about you. And my last tip is fellowship. Now, we repeat this every single week at YRM when we do the, the Sabbath family, the Mishpachah. We do it every week. And praise Yahweh, we do. And it's with good reason. As I mentioned back in point number two, you've got to watch who you hang around. You cannot believe the blessings that come from worship with fellow believers. To see those who are struggling with you, not against you. That's a key factor. You have people who are struggling with you, and then out there you have people who are struggling against you. Every week, we try to just encourage one another, build each other up, because this is, this is, this is all we've got. I know it's easy to think, well, I'll just go back home or whatever, but, and I mean, obviously, some of you will go back home, but <laughs> don't have that many rooms, but... Our home, our home uh, fellowships, our home groups that we go to or, or whatever, those, that's the body of Messiah. That's who we have. And it is our goal to spend eternity with each other. It is so important that we strive together and not against one another. And as mentioned in the Sabbath family, Hebrews 10.25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, this is one that's bothered me for a long time, is that I've known people who are capable. They are physically able, they have the means, and they choose not to fellowship. They know the truth, they know the people, they don't get lost, it's a straight shot, they know where everything's at, and they choose not to fellowship. That, I, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. I, you don't have to agree with every single thing. I understand there's disagreements, uh, and, but you should fellowship. That's what Yahweh made the body for, is for fellowship and for each other. And after all, who's going to correct you if you get some wacky idea and you don't have anybody to bounce it off of? You would be surprised how many people fall away because they don't fellowship. They get wrapped up in their own pet doctrine that's completely pointless in in a lot of ways. And they put so much importance on it, but because they don't have somebody to sit there with them and be like, have you really thought about that? It's not... I don't think so. It's not so good. They don't have anybody to tell them that. And so they get wrapped up, and they're their own worst enemy. I've seen it so many times. As the world gets darker and darker, we have to stick together. We have to sharpen one another and build the body of Messiah to withstand the attacks to come. And they're going to come. We have it so good, even with all this nonsense that I just mentioned going on in the world. We have it so good. The fact that we have so many people from so all over the country here, and we have people online all over the world that we're able to do what we do, we've got it good. We've got it good. We haven't even begun to experience problems, really. And this is by no means a comprehensive list. There's many things that you can do to realign yourself with Father. But it's a start. And if you've got... If you've got um, self-doubt, if you've got anxiety, if you're struggling, whatever. Use some of these tips. Prayer is a big one. Go into your closet. Go somewhere where you can be alone and pray. And pray out loud. When's the last time you read in Scripture of, of one of the, the pillars of our faith 
crying in a corner quietly to Yahweh. It doesn't happen. They always cry out. They, they express themselves to the Father. The idol of self is one of the biggest things we face in our lifetime. And again, I think it's happening more now than it's ever been in the history of the world, at least what we know of. Everything mankind has done has been ne- Marriage? Nope. Children? Not if they have anything to say about it. And then if they do survive, and I say survive seriously, if they do survive the murder that faces millions, then they're bombarded with perverse lessons that twist the natural order of Yahweh. And if you speak out against it, you could lose your job. They fetishized abortion anymore. It's like, you should see some of these people. I mean, when Randy talked, Elder Randy talked about reprobates, I don't think we realize the depths of the depravity that is coming to people who Yahweh turns over to a reprobate mind. I mean, this is like, when you hear about them sacrificing their children to me, how could they do that? I think, I think they're there. I think they're there, and they do it with a smile on their face. And then, again, if they survive, they wait till they get their hands on. They're going to mess their mind up so fast And if you speak the word of Yahweh, like actually from the Bible, you'd be ostracized for even mentioning it. Unless, of course, it's from the Queen James Bible, which is a real thing. The Queen James Bible. It's an actual thing, and it is an abomination. The world is messed up. We as Yahweh's people have to be laser-focused on him. Because if we aren't, we could find ourselves wandering off that narrow path. And I know, like I said earlier, it sounds harsh, but if we wander off without the repentance, I mean, Yahweh lopped off the natural branches. How much more willing is he going to be to lop off the grafted in ones that aren't producing fruit? Paul himself stated in 1 Corinthians 9.27, I discipline my body and bring it into subjugation, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. We have to be careful and we have to be diligent and vigilant in everything we do when it comes to the Father and it comes to the kingdom. Because I could sit up here and, I, and I'm, I have to do the same thing. I could sit up here and tell you all this, but if I don't shape up in my own life, I myself could become disqualified. I may be a blessing to others, or whoever gets up here may be a blessing to others, and that's praise Yahweh for that. But it comes down to what's between you and the Father. And that's ultimately what matters, because... What is it in Ezekiel when it says that if a righteous man is righteous and he turns to wickedness, his righteousness will not be remembered him. But if a wicked man is wicked and turns to righteousness, his wickedness won't be remembered him. Nothing in this life comes close to being worth being disqualified for the kingdom. We have to help each other destroy the idol of self, tear down the high places, Whatever those high places may be, the groves in our lives, the idols in our lives, we have to smash them to pieces with the zeal that we see in the scripture. And I know that I know that it's hard, and I know that especially right now, there's a lot of a lot of emotion going on in the in the body of Messiah, especially here, good and bad. But we just have to stay focused. We have to stay focused, and we have to remember that we are all we've got. And again, nothing, nothing that this life has to offer is worth losing the kingdom for.
And I pray that this message has been a blessing. And I hope everybody up here has a really good time. I honestly didn't expect to see like nearly as many people here. Praise Yahweh. It's been a, it's been a blessing, and I'm, I'm hoping to talk to everybody a little bit more. But Yahweh bless you and enjoy the rest of your Sabbath.